Welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited. I'm exceptionally excited today, as I always am, to have my brother from another mother, Mr. Kevin Crow, on the show. How are you, man? Very good, man. It's great to be back. Oh, hey, and, and the audience, I'm going to apologize to you guys in advance. Like, Kevin and I have not seen each other for a while, so you, this is a proper catch-up, and you guys are going to get the eavesdrop on it. Uh, Kevin, 100%. returning guest, co-conspirator on Collisions YYC, the guy that... Uh, tricked me uh, into starting collisions, <laughs> which I will forever be grateful. That's a story for another, for another podcast uh, when we do the Where Did We Come From episode. But uh, you and I have had many, many conversations on the show, so much surrounding mm-hmm. some of the incredible adventures and the things that you mm-hmm. do that sometimes defy humanity or defy human capabilities uh, and, <laughs> and capacity for adventure and putting yourselves in an environment to really find out who you are. And what's been going on in your life in the last little bit since we left off and you, you jokingly yeah. said off air since our last chapter of this episode where we <laughs> talked about finishing the spine in Northern England. And we won't get too much into that because anyone can go back and listen to that episode. Uh, the story continues and the saga mm-hmm. continues of your evolution and your, your, your journey as a human and one of the humans I have a lot of admiration for because of the, the, the way you challenge yourself, the way you force yourself to grow, maybe sometimes whether you like it or not, <laughs> yes, <laughs> forced yeah. you know, necessity, the mother, of, the mother of all innovation. But let's turn the mic over to you. Let's talk about, I mean, I'll put a, a couple, uh, chronic pain, stand-up paddleboarding in the world of endurance, stand-up paddleboarding, uh, the Yukon. Like We've got some themes coming through the show that are yeah. pretty exciting. So you finished yeah. the spine, you came back to reality, and you started planning your next adventure right away. Let's pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this, I think, is going to be chapter three. And as I unfold this story, uh, I'm really ha- hoping for a chapter four. And that's going to become apparent as we kind of work through this. So, yeah, last time we chatted, you know, did the uh, Spine, which is a 268-mile uh, running race, kind of the center of England up to Scotland through the mountains in January, February, with horrendous w- uh, weather. And, um you know, I felt I kind of had achieved the goals I wanted to achieve through endurance running. You know, I had done a bunch of big races. Um, and so we started looking, and I say we because Johan's usually my co-conspirator on the adventure side. So I, I started uh, looking into stand-up paddleboarding and some endurance things around that. It's really intriguing because not a lot has been done there. It's a very new area. It kind of reminds me of getting into ultra running, you know, 10, 12 years ago now. Mm where you can't Google it and just find information on it. Um, people are really, you know, kind of figuring out that space and, and kind of what can be done and what's humanly possible. And so we had our eyes on the longest uh, river race uh, in the world, which is the Yukon River Quest. And it's from Whitehorse uh, up to Dawson on the Yukon River, uh, about 705 kilometers. And so after the spine um, and during the COVID lockdowns, we said, you know what, um, let's start preparing ourselves for that. And one of the things we first did was we paddled uh, from Calgary all the way down to Medicine Hat. Um, And it was kind of, I think, July-ish. And that's about 400 kilometers. Um, uh, It's really intriguing because, you know, we have the bow here uh, in Calgary that kind of goes down to the South Saskatchewan when it gets to Medicine Hat. And one of the things we loved about it was there's not a lot of information on the bow after you kind of get down to Carsland, which is about 50 kilometers past Calgary um, until you get back down to the South Saskatchewan. So we felt it was like an adventure in and of itself because, you know, we couldn't find people talking about, you know, what the river looked like and what was on the river. Um, There was actually, when we looked at the guidebooks, the distance 
came out wrong, right? Like people were just kind of guessing at the distances and that type of thing. And um, and we also had a gentleman by the name of Phil, a good friend of ours, join. And, and so we had this heck of an adventure. Um, I think it took us uh, four days, four and a half days. Um, and uh, it was just super inspiring. You know, the river's beautiful. Uh, through that area is very, very remote. We felt like we might as well have been on the moon because we just saw nobody. And um, even though, you know, you go through ranch country, et cetera, there's just nobody on that land and, you know, beautiful badlands and incredible. Uh, we saw like uh, wild horses that were free roaming and just an incredible, inspiring adventure. And so we said, you know what, Yukon, here we come. Right. And so uh, we started preparing for the Yukon and um, which is the Yukon races at the end of June. And then um so in January of this year, 22, I uh, started having a little bit of pain in my face. It felt like I had a bad cavity. And uh, as I was biting into things, I was like, oh, you know, I got to get to the dentist. And, uh, you know, as we all do, you kind of delay it. There's a lot going <laughs> on in your life. And, uh, and then one day I bit into uh, some food and I had this kind of massive amount of pain that just kept climbing up. And it kind of felt like a bit of the only way I could describe it is a bit of a seizure. I ended up on the floor and my son, who's 20, uh, was in the house and he came over and helped me up. And we both had a good laugh about it because he's like, Dad, I've never seen you kind of be in pain like that. And my wife came home and, and got me to the dentist right away. And, you know, I was talking to the dentist and he was like, I think maybe you have TMJ, which is like tight jaw muscles and, and that type of thing. So anyways, got home. Um, and it started getting worse and worse and worse. And, and I, I ended up having COVID in that stretch. And so I couldn't go back to the dentist and I uh, was deteriorating. And so once I got uh, kind of healthy from COVID, I went back to the dentist um, and he said, oh, I think you have something that's called trigeminal neuralgia. Now, I want to explain trigeminal neuralgia. If you Google it, you're going to see two things. One is you're going to see it called the suicide disease because the pain is so incredibly intense um it's hard to put into words um the the thing about it is as i was deteriorating i started having major pain seizures that would last sometimes you know two minutes uh, where you're literally shaking and in a cold sweat on the floor um the other thing you're going to see about it is there's really no cure for it right um it's very rare there's just you know there's some treatments but there's really no way to get rid of it and so you know, I, I received that diagnosis, which was, you know, extremely mentally devastating um, and was still deteriorating. Right. Uh, I went home and the thing about it is, you know, I couldn't talk. I couldn't drink water. I couldn't eat. Um, I was getting seizures even when I was walking downstairs and stuff like just taking a, a step down a stair would put me in incredible pain. Uh, and. You know, we were going back and forth to the emergency, just try to deal with um, pain medicine and trying to get it under uh, kind of control. But one of the things I learned, I didn't realize this, is that modern medicine just doesn't have good treatments for nerve pain, right? Because what trigeminal neuralgia or TN is, it's, you know, the, the theory is that you have a nerve touching a blood vessel in your brain and, and that's what causes the seizures. So, you know, I was, my wife was running me up to emergency as I was deteriorating and, and, you know, they were doing their best and obviously they were full of COVID patients and pushed to the limit. So, you know, they pushed me full of uh, pain medicine and then send me home. And eventually one night I ended up having a 20 minute seizure, um, uh, 
where it was this unbelievable amount of pain. Uh, where we called the ambulance and they shot me full of fentanyl, which gave me 20 minutes of clear. I finally had no pain and um, got me up to the hospital where I was uh, admitted with acute uh, pain, an acute pain situation and, and uh, was up there for eight days trying to deal with it. So um, I can't tell you about how hard of a place that is mentally to be. Um, where I've gone from, you know, obviously these running races and, you know, had paddled to Medicine Hat and, and was preparing for the Yukon, which was in June, because this is now roughly in February, uh, to being in a place where I literally uh, couldn't get out of bed, right? Couldn't put a glass to my lips to even drink water. Curious and maybe relevant, maybe not, like, through all your training and like the extreme nature of pushing yourself physically, had you ever dealt with kind of chronic injury or repetitive injury or like pain like this? Like is thinking about, you know, what you've endured <clears throat> from a, just a sheer physical exertion and performance perspective, injuries tend to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, of course, looking for cause effect, but also just anything like this in the past that ever would even have prepared you for such a kind of like clearly traumatic event. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I think a couple things, um, you know, when I was, in and out of emergency and, and one of the interesting things is i couldn't talk so and you're not allowed guests right because of covid so i had to go up there by myself and then i would get in and i'd phone my wife and put her on the phone to talk to the doctors and they would always say like describe your pain from a one to ten and i'd be like 16 16 right 20 and they'd be like no there's nothing higher than a 10 you can only pick 10 and my wife would say like look at just want to explain my husband's life right <laughs> like he, he's fallen down a mountain he's he's run these distances like He's trying to describe to you that like this is an unbelievable amount of pain that I didn't like personally, I never thought that could exist. Right. The only way I can wow. describe the pain is that literally someone has taken electric kind of shocks and put them right into your brain, not against your skull, like right into your brain. Like they say and, you know, I who had all the chronic diseases in the world, but they say it's the most painful chronic pain situation you can have um, on the pain chart. And I would, I would say that's absolutely right. And, you know, I've never had to deal with anything like this, that one was so debilitating and two, there's, there's no end to it, right? Like it, it is one of those kind of changing moments of your life where there's not a finish line where, you know, Hey, give me this pill or give me this surgery or, you know, go do this physio and, you know, get back. And that's where my other injuries have been is kind of like, okay, if I do these things for six weeks, I should be healed and be getting back to things. And, you know, there was always kind of a finish line and I'm, I'm well, not a two, you're wearing your Moab you know? 240, a 240 mile race has a finish line at 240. Yeah. So no matter how yeah. much pain, there's always hope. And there's always yeah. a sense of like, when I get to the finish line, I will then get relief versus yeah. the word chronic is a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm learning, mm -hmm. you know, the battle through chronic pain. And, you know, I would say, I, I have huge amount of respect and admiration and compassion for people that have had to deal with chronic pain. Cause you know, I, I think a lot of my approach to these things before is like, well, you know, just toughen up and figure a way around it and overcome it. And that's not the case in the situation I am. You know, I, I will tell you um, this, you know, just give you a description of how bad the pain is, is, you know, when I was lying in that hospital bed and, um, you know, just kind of dealing through and still having, you know, electrical shocks and seizures, you know, I wanted to die. And I, I don't say that lightly. Like I don't, I'm, this is somebody like I've been on the sides of mountains fighting for my life. And I've been in situations where death is imminent. And I've always fought 
so hard to stay alive. And I always say there's no atheist in a foxhole. And I've never in those moments just kind of wanted to give up or, you know, say, hey, enough's enough. And, you know, there's that there's a Turkish saying saying if, if you want to die, throw yourself in the middle of the ocean and see how hard you'll swim. I would not I would have not even taken a stroke. Right. Like I I cannot put into words like, you know, I was, you know, talking to God saying like, look, at I've had a good life. Uh, I'm good. Like, I, I cannot deal with this. And I think one of the biggest things I said to myself is like living a long life is a curse now, right? Like to live to be 80 is not the thing I want, right? Like, I just do not want that. And, and just being in such a dark place. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, through all those adventures and races I've had, um, have given me mental tools to deal with this stuff. And yet it was just such a dark place. You know, I, before I was getting sick, I was 202 pounds. When they admitted me to the hospital, I was 181. And I lost that all in probably two weeks. Uh, most of that was water weight because I just couldn't drink. Um, so it was an exceptionally dark place to be. And I've never been anywhere like that before, you know, mentally. Was there, it's so isolating between COVID, between not being able to articulate, not use your voice, not communicate with other people. Was there any, I'm just thinking about the system at this point, we're dealing with the acute, we're dealing with the pain, yeah. but the rest of the person, the, the person that now is like, throw me in the ocean and I would just give up kind of mindset. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, you know, our system, like you throw yourself into the medical system to uh, the human element of you, like the body yeah. is trying to be treated at that point, but I'm just thinking about so much of, uh, of never having chronic pain, but thinking about how little maybe in that moment was really put towards your mental state. And we were just oh, trying to yeah. fix the physical, but yet the pain that you're describing, one's driving the other, but that mental, that dark place that you would have gotten to or that you were in just blows my mind for someone I know to be probably one of the most resilient kind of quote unquote tough. And that has a lot of different mm. meanings. So I'm just going to throw mm. the word out there. Tough individuals, but this yeah. was a whole nother game. This was a whole nother it, opponent. It was a whole nother game. And, and, you know, one of those things, like I said, when you Google it, you see it called the suicide disease. And my understanding the first thing I found when I, when you told me what it was and I Googled it, I was like, Oh shit. Like it got very real for me really fast when I found that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the stat is, and it can be argued or debated, but 26% of people with this end up committing suicide because they can't live with the pain, which is horrific uh, stat. Now my understanding is that number might be coming down because we're getting other treatments and, you know, the medical establishment is doing better, but you know, um, through that, I can tell you one of the things I was surprised by, if that is the stat that, you know, there wasn't mental resources put on the table. I was going to ask, know? was there anyone there to say, how are you doing? How are, how is the, how is, how's your soul? How's your mental state? Yeah. My, my f- family doctor, as I circled back has been that to me, but okay. you know, as I was going through the system, there definitely wasn't that, that talk. Now, you know, as anything, you're starting to educate yourself and dig into this and like, okay, how am I going to get through this? And, you know, what do I need to do? And, you know, I came across an app called Curable, uh, which is all about chronic pain. And, you know, one of the things inside of that is it was giving you tools and education uh, around this. And, and, you know, some of the things I've learned is, you know, one is um, do not kind of design your whole life around pain, right? It was so easy to lie in that bed, right? And even though I was having pain in that bed, the last thing I wanted to do was make it worse, right? And I didn't want to create any more seizures. And as somebody described it to me, they said, you know, it's like living with an assailant that at any time can jump out and literally beat the shit out of you for two minutes or more, and you can't do anything. 
right? So last thing you want to do is make yourself worse. So you just end up trying to like, okay, I'm just going to stay here and hopefully nothing bad happens. And then you can start designing everything around that. And I didn't want to make it the center of my life. And, you know, so I, I, I needed to know I needed to do some things different. And, and the other thing you don't want to do, and I, this is what I was doing in my hospital bed is catastrophize, right? Like this is the rest of my life. This is from here to the end. Um, and, you know, nothing's going to change. I have nothing like, you know, all the things that, you know, I want to do in my life and, you know, be with people and go on these adventures and even my, you know, my job and my work, I couldn't do any of that, right? Like all my quality of life had gone. And, and so, you know, I, I realized, okay, I, I, I got to live in the moment and, and fight for little things and, and start like really chunking it up to, okay, my, my big goal today is I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to go try to shower. Now, even showering when the water hit my face caused like electrical shocks, right? So, so those steps just helped me get into motion, right? And I, I'm reminded of this incredible story from Jack Cornfield, I think, the, the Buddhist teacher in the U.S. And he, he was talking the story of this surgeon was working with a young woman who had, had nerve issues on her face and he had to cut nerves in her face, which mean, meant her, you know, one side of her face was going to droop. And this is a, a young woman, you know, in her, in her 20s. And her husband and her were there after the surgery. She looked at the surgeon and said, you know, am I going to look like this forever? And, uh, and he said, yes, you are. And her husband said, you know what? I think you look really beautiful. And he distorted his mouth to lean down and kiss her. And, and to me, why that's so emotional is because that was me in those moments, right? Really realizing from now to the end, this is it, right? I, I have this. And, and that husband was my wife. Like she was so incredible to help me through it and really encourage me and push me in the right way to say like, you know, remember who you are, remember what you can do. Like you are going to overcome this. Uh, and I needed a cheerleader in, in my, in my corner at that time, because, you know, I had kind of given up all of that on myself uh, mm -hmm. because I was just in a, in a dark, dark spot, you know? So that sense of loss of hope, you know, the hope that tomorrow will be better to today certainly sounds like it's the first time I've ever heard you speak this way. So it's so powerful and mm -hmm. you know, meaningful to me to hear you share it honestly and for people to listen and understand for someone that no matter what situation you and I talked about, you always had a like, well, yeah, we're just going to push through. And but to be yeah. in a situation where that was removed from what I would say is your DNA and who you are yeah. as a person, but to go through something so severe that it ultimately shifted who you, your identity, your complete identity of your, with yourself in that moment. That's a, those are very few things in life ever get us to that place, you know, and, and we're going to talk about hopefully the gift that that has become over time, which I only yes. hope that this story goes there. But right now yeah. we're at the, we're at the dark part of the story, which is the reality of yeah. you know, birth or death or a tragedy, the three things that change your life. So this was yeah. kind of a death and a tragedy almost all together. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a, you know, the unchosen ego deaths are the hardest I, I've read. And, no kidding. you know, it was definitely that moment. And I think, um, yeah, the unchosen you know, there's ego a, death, there's a podcast unto itself. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I read somewhere and I've been in the forums, obviously, with the other TN patients. And, you know, they said, uh, you know, you can go meditate in a cave for 20 years or you can get TN. Um, you know, they're going to have the same effect on you because you have to look to spiritual and, I think, you know, those deep parts of, of meaning in, in life, right? Like I, I know that I think it was Ethan Hawke talked about, 
the, the power of creativity and art, right? Like the moments that's most important for you is when you're caught in these things, whether you've lost a loved one or, you know, there's been some, you know, tragedy in your life of like losing a child. And, and there's nothing that's going to explain that to you other than like deep art and creativity that touches your soul, right? Because, you know, looking at numbers or, you know, uh, doing all that other kind of stuff of work and, and life just won't get you to the, the place of meaning. And I think Frankel, you know, really talks to us in, the, in his book, you know, the purpose of meaning and, you know, how that we've got to find meaning in our work and deep meaning in our life and deep meaning in suffering. And, and you know, I think that was my process of, of trying to get myself back on my feet was, okay, like, the life you want is not the one lying in bed here giving up right that like you want to do more than that you're going to have to find a way out of that and i think luckily you know a lot of the the training and and the adventures i've been on gave me a lot of mental tools to help me work through that process was there was there a moment was there you know if we're going to hollywood this and put it in a movie was there a moment was there a day that it was the lowest but it was also the turning point or was that low did that last weeks and slowly started to shift? I'm just kind of really thinking about like the process yeah. of getting here sounded quick and like you were there before you even knew it, but the process <laughs> it was, out, like yeah. it, was there a moment in time? Was there that moment where you can think about, yeah, it was a Tuesday and like I made the choice to change this direction from going deeper and down to like starting yeah. to slowly, slowly like tooth and nail crawl my way back. Well, I think, you know, and one of the things that, you know, kind of going to run through this is, you know, still through this, this is March and I had signed up for the Yukon river quest. Right. And there was, <laughs> yes, there was, two I remember we, guys, I remember us chatting about it. <laughs> yeah. There was two guys that had committed with me to go and, and that's, you know, Freddie and Johan and, and, um, you know, I was texting them, you know, once I could do that and kind of said, well, you know, I think I'm probably 80% out. Um, but it's too soon. Right. I knew one of the things was not to make a decision in that moment. I had time. Right. But I said, I'm going to keep you posted. Um, but my commitment to those friends of mine, the commitment to that, that goal, um, really started helping motivate me, right. To say, Hey, I, I that's something I, I want to do. And, and it kind of motivated me to say, can I get on a path of, of curing myself or healing and getting out of bed? Obviously my family, uh, my, you know, I, I love the work I do, right. The, the people I work with, they're all like behind me. Now, one of the things that really at that time can also, I think, I don't know, pissed me off in some ways was everyone was like, well, Kev, you, you're going to do this. You're going to overcome this. Like, like you run these races, you do all this stuff. And I was like, part of me was like, you don't understand, right? Like you're dismissing the dark hole I'm in and the situation I am. But further down the road, I realized that really helped motivate me, right? Because they were showing me who I am and not letting me kind of wallow in my misery, which I needed. And, you know, that, I literally, that new identity, that new identity yeah. can start to take over really quickly, like from that 100%. perspective, because it was your reality in that time. No question. A hundred percent. And it was a safe reality, right? The safe thing to do, put me in bubble wrap and just keep me in bed type of thing. And, and so, you know, I, I, I got up uh, at some point, you know, after I'd been out of the hospital, I, I did start taking some medication that like lowers electrical shocks. Uh, but it has other side effects, right? It makes you super tired and, and um, helps, it takes away some of your coordination. Uh, but I was like, okay, I went downstairs uh, and started doing the very, very lightest yoga I could do, right? Like 
nothing that would move my head. So no like downward dog or anything, just some really light moves. And, and then started going for walks with my wife, like really short walks. Um, you got to remember things like even like wind hitting my face would cause issues. So, you know, and then I would start, okay, like I can do this walk and then, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to do a longer walk by myself. I also will say like, I had huge moments of just grieving the loss I had of my life and the things historically, like, you know, I'm not, not scared to say I cried many a day. Right. And just like, I go for a walk and half that walk would be tears. And, you know, you're just like, I wonder if somebody walks by me, what they're, they're going to think's going on with me. But, you know, I, I well, agree. Shows that you, 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 ne you never know another person's reality. That's, there's a lesson in there uh, just right there of itself. A hundred percent. Right. What that person's going through. And so, you know, um, and then started just working from there. Okay. Um, all right. I walked, you know, 20 minutes a day. Now I'm going to walk 30. Now I'm going to walk 40. Now, one of the things I really found a struggle with is that, you know, the farther I got away from my house and I lived by Fish Creek, which is a, a park in Calgary for those not here. And you, you can go huge distances in it is when I got away from my house, I got really, really anxious. Right. So, um, it was my safe spot. Safety, it had my meds. Safety, bl safety blanket, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could crawl into bed, right? Like if I needed to. Um, I had seizures in front of my wife, so I wasn't, quote unquote, embarrassed by showing my pain to my wife. But I was like, oh, man, if I end up on, you know, the bike path and a curled up ball and a seizure, like what's that going to look like? You know, what are people, how are they going to take it? I can't talk at those moments, right? So I really had to build myself up. And you know, the other thing, and, and you were part of this, so I really appreciate it, is I bring in friends down for what I called philosophy walks, right? Just going for a walk and um, yeah, I, I couldn't talk very well, right? I was talking through my teeth and I'd be like, hey, you need to do the talking. <laughs> I'm going to walk with you, but please tell me what's going on in your life. And, and that helped me, you know, get away from the house. And then I had some friends take me to the mountains, right? Like, okay, we're going to go to the mountains. We're going to go for a walk. And to them, and I'm sure they didn't think it was that big of a deal because I spent a lot of time out there. But to me, those were big anxious moments of like, okay, I'm going to go out in the mountains. I'm going to go 10 miles back into the backcountry, and, and those types of things. And, and slowly, you know, started building back. And every time you were doing that, there was always this thought like, okay, is this going to make me worse? Like, am I going to do something that puts me back in the hospital? But as I was pushing through that, I started realizing like, okay, this is, this is, okay, I can make it happen. I'm, I'm getting better. Um, I'm feeling better, right? Mental, my mental state's getting better. And so that allowed me to build and build and build. And, you know, started texting the boys about the race. And was like, I think I'm 50-50 now that I'm going to go. I think I'm 60-40. Oh, hey, if I feel like this today, I'm going. I'm hopping on the plane. We're, we're going to fly up there. And so it just was a little bit at each day that allowed me to kind of progress towards that. So interesting from the perspective of while this is going on and you're deliberately taking action to stretch your boundaries and to create just like to try to get back to the things you just took, took for granted before to be simple. Also at this time, are you constantly, are you looking for cures? Are you on the internet? Are you dealing with your doctors? Like I appreciate there's kind of almost two tracks that are going on. There's, yeah. the, you know, you said curing myself. You said that earlier, which I really appreciate yeah. that sense of ownership over it. Yeah. In a condition that has the highest, you know, suicide rate of any condition, and oh by the way, we don't know what caused it, and we have no cure. So that yeah, that, yeah. that really sets up a it's a it's a hopeless, <laughs> you know, Google response. Yes. So yeah. at this time, is, I'm assuming there's communities out there. I'm just thinking about yeah. the two tracks of healing that have to be going on here for this thing. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I lost an amazing friend of brain cancer, uh, probably about, I think, uh, well, 12, 13 years ago now. And, uh, as I watched him go through that, the one thing he really taught me was to advocate for yourself, right? Like, He's like, the doctors are amazing. They're helping me. They're doing their thing. But this is my life and I've got to advocate and decide and make decisions and to your point, educate. So that's immediately what I started doing. I, you know, I went around, I started looking at things, reading documents and, um, you know, digging into forums. And, you know, one of the things I will say is those forums are, they're a tough spot because there's people that have this for 10, 15, 20 years and, and there's not a lot of um, hope inside those forums at times, right? They've tried everything. They've, you know, been through everything. And, and you know, my pain was in my lower right jaw. Some people have it on both sides of their face. I could sleep at night for some reason. Some people can't even put a pillow against their face. So those were tough spots to, to, to kind of go in. But I, I knew they were important. They had wisdom in there. And the one thing, my theory, and, that, you know, I'm just a lay person. But my theory is I think this is muscular. Um, you know, because people will say, hey, Kev, do you think all your endurance events cause this? And, you know, obviously there's this, you know, the COVID kind of thing floating around. And, you know, I did get my vaccinations, but I got them, you know, six months before this happened. The thing I think it happened to me because, you know, what changed and, you know, I work in technology. So I always kind of what changed and what stopped it from working right. is, you know, in the fall, I locked myself basically in my house um, for work. I was going back and forth to the office. I was doing things. But, you know, we got locked down again. I was like, I'm just going to work from home. And I ended up sitting at my desk for, you know, hours upon hours. And and I think something happened um, in my body. Uh, and, you know, you're obviously your jaw and your neck and your back. Everything's connected. And so, you know, I've really been working on that theory. Um, you know, I, I've also changed, you know, I went to an anti-inflammation diet. Uh, you know, I used to, uh, I loved a dark rum with friends, uh, even on the medication, I can't, you know, drink alcohol. Um, so I, I eliminated a bunch of those things. Uh, but I'm, you know, really on this kind of, Hey, this is a muscular thing. You've got to sort it out talking with different quote, you know, doctors around it. One of the advantages I have is I really know my body from all the things I've done. Right. And so I can feel mm -hmm. where things are off and, and how things are working. And, and so, you know, that's my plan. And, I'm working with some uh, doctors that are kind of outside the mainstream around kind of the muscular issues. And, you know, I'll, if anyone wants to reach out that has TN, I'm happy to share it, but I'm kind of halfway through that. So I, I need to kind of get to the end point and, and you know, make sure that's solid, that it, it can solve the issue. Um, so my plan right now, kind of where I've ended up is, you know, uh, lots of yoga, lots of breath work. Um, it's on the right side. So I'm teaching myself to be left-handed right? I'm doing lots of meditation, obviously, on the mental side. Um, and then, you know, I'm experimenting with diet at times, but I just don't, other than making it, my mental state better and keeping me healthy, I don't think diet's going to fix it. I just think it's going to make me stronger mentally to get through this. You know? Well, it just lets the whole machine, because everything, everything is at a certain point is like, is all, are all systems working optimally, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. anything can pull it back down and cause stress on your system from so many areas. Yeah. So from where, what, what are we on for timeline right now? When, when did it start versus where we are now? How many months are we from yeah, the first so, event until today? Yeah, technically I would say it started in January, but it was very subtle. Like I said, I thought I had a toothache. Uh, in February, I started having the pain seizures. I'm hospitalized kind of the first week of March, right? And so now we're kind of headed towards, you know, end of March, or sorry, kind of end of April, kind of getting towards May, right? And and now, you know, the Yukon River Quest is 
only whatever, you know, 60 days away type of thing. And, and so, and the, the rivers are, are warmed up, right? Like uh, we can go paddling. And so start paddling with Johan and Freddie and, you know, we do some couple hundred kilometers down the Bow River type trips and, you know, really starting to feel solid. I know, you know, because obviously on a paddleboard, you're individual, right? And, and I said to those guys, um, I said, okay, like, I really feel I can, can get up there and do this, but I can't, like, we can't be separated, right? Like, one of my fears is that I'm going to have a seizure on the river. I need people there with me. And of course, those, they're just amazing, solid guys. And they're like, of course, Kev, like, absolutely. We're, we're, we're not going to leave you. Like, we'll do this together type of thing. And so, you know, my confidence is building. I, we've got, like, these races take lots of logistics. Like, you, we have support crew. And so we've got everybody kind of arranged around that and, and just improving, improving, improving. And, you know, come June, right? I think the race was somewhere around June 20th or something. Uh, we're starting to get ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, like if everything stays the same, I'm getting on this plane. Now I'm still heavily on medications. I'm definitely not 100%. Um, and we start getting emails from the Yukon saying, hey, we're having a major flood up here. <laughs> the river level is extremely high. Um, we're, we don't know if we're going to cancel the event, but only come up if you're a very experienced paddler, right? Like, this is going to be intense. Uh, it's going to be a, a real adventure. If you have not paddled a wilderness river with high water, do not think about coming up here because you are going to have to really look after yourself. And so another wrench <laughs> been throwing in this thing. It's, so, it's, it's a very real email to get, isn't it? <laughs> very real email. Yeah, and, no and shit, you know, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was about, there was a group, I think there was about eight of us from Calgary that we're going to all attempt it on stand up paddle boards. You know, I think, okay, cool. I didn't realize there was like a, that, that there was a community like that kind of around. Us. Yeah. There about five years ago, you could start, they started letting stand up paddle boards. I think in the Yukon, it, it's a, originally a canoe race and you can, you know, do a Voyager canoe. I think it's eight people and then four person canoe, a two person canoe, a solo canoe, two person kayaks and single person kayaks. And so they're like, Hey, we're not going to change any of the rules. We're not going to change any of the timings. Um, but, um, we'll, we'll let paddle boards in. And so, you know, it's kind of a newer thing and, and this community in, in Calgary, cause we have the Bow River here is really growing around in, endurance paddleboard things. So, cool. you know, we are like, okay, uh, some of those people, you know, said, Hey, you know, it's, it's the water's too high. I'm not going to go up. Um, and, but we said, you know what, we're going to go up. We've put all this energy into it. Uh, we fought through all these things. Um, you know, at the very least, we're going to go see the river and make a decision. Is there a river there. cam, like a ski cam? Can you just dial it up and see what's going on? <laughs> sort of. It's the Yukon, right? So there's, uh, we can kind of find a, a few webcams down by Dawson, uh, which is a finish line. Uh, but it's hard to see a river uh, <laughs> on a webcam, right? And And the other thing is like, there's rapids on the river. There's, I think, you know, class two to class three rapids. And so you, nothing around those and we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what are those looking like? Um, but you know, we put all this energy into it. We're like, we're going to go check it out. So we ended up flying up there and, uh, this will be relevant later in the story. Of course you have safety, safety briefing, right? And the safety briefing, they're like, okay, look at the river's really high. You're going to have hard time finding places to get off the river. If your plan was like, okay, you know, we'll stop here and, We'll eat uh, here and you know we'll camp and and that type of thing because you know it's 705 kilometers it's 24 7 
light. So you're literally paddling the whole time. There's mandated 10 hours of rest at certain checkpoints, but you know, those are farther down the river. Um, so it's, it's a big, it's, you know, from an endurance lack of sleep thing, it's huge. And our plan was, Oh, we'll stop somewhere on the river and sleep. So that thing had been removed. And, you know, we looked at the river in, in Whitehorse when, you know, this at the start line and we said, Oh, it looks pretty good. Like we could see, you know, islands and, and gravel bars. And so we're like, Oh, it's, it's high and it doesn't look like it's running super fast. So we went for it. <laughs> We started. Curious. And, I, I got to back up. Yeah. You, you brought your wife up in terms of the role that she played. I'm really curious yeah. about this. And and, yeah. and as your friend, I had my own concerns. So I'm maybe projecting <laughs> yes. a little bit this question here. Yeah. Of obviously your biggest cheerleader and and the role that yeah. she played in giving you hope and kind of reminding you who you were through that process when yeah. this, when this affliction, this disease was really chipping away at your identity. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going to paddle the Yukon and she's lived yeah. with you for years. So I know that she's been aware <laughs> of the adventures. Yes. Was, I'm just curious of like, was, was she on board? Was she fully supported? Was she like, eh, Kev, I don't know. This seems risky. Yeah. Cause you're, you know, we're all at a point, most of us in our lives where it's not just about us. It's our families. Yes. It's our, it's yeah. our, it's our companies that rely on us. It's, it's everything and people that care about us. Yeah. How much was that a factor? Was it, wasn't it? I don't know. I was curious because I, I had some concerns as your friend. I felt it. Yes. Like, so I, I'm, put, yeah. I'm asking for me through asking through your wife at the same time. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You know, uh, we've been married 22 years. Uh, she, knows. she knows. She knows. She knows <laughs> me inside now. And, you know, her response was, he's going to do it. Like I, I can talk to him a hundred <laughs> times over, but he's yeah. going to do it. And the other thing, you know, we had some deep conversations and I said, like, look at, I need this. And I'll tell you why I need this is because the odds are I'm going to be back in that hospital bed, right? It's not curable. Uh, it, you can get it into remission, but it will pop back out, right? Some people are in remission okay, for yeah. six months. Some people are in remission for two years, but eventually it comes back. And I said, the thing I need is to know that I got out of that hospital bed. I fought through it and I got to the Yukon because next time it happens, that's a story I can tell myself, right? And so she understood that and respected that. Was she scared? Was she nervous? A hundred percent. Which did she want me not to go? A hundred percent. And you know, Ty, you weren't the only friend. Like I had friends call me and said, like, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, you shouldn't be up there. And I'm like, I appreciate. I was like, I, I love the fact that you care for me. It, I, it means a lot, and I totally understand. And I have my doubts too that I should be up there. Um, but I'm telling you, this is why I got to go do it. You know. I never made that phone call because I already knew the answer. <laughs> I know you well enough. Being concerned yeah. and then telling someone they shouldn't do something are two different things. I was legitimately yes. concerned because I care about yes. you. But at the yeah. same time, I understood that. I knew you well enough to know that narrative. Like, I'm yeah. going to do this. And that's just, that is part of my journey of healing, right? Of yeah. Reclaiming thing, this disease is not going to take who I am away from me. I'm going to prove that I can make it. And that's huge. huge. And the other thing, you know, I, I definitely want to put on the table is, you know, what she kept asking me is, is Johan going to be with you? Are you going to paddle with Johan? Because we've been yeah, through so team, much do you, together. Do you have your team? Do you have your, yeah. Yeah. She just 100% trusts him and she knows he's going to get me out of there. So she's just like, you know, that brought her level of stress down uh, to some extent. But she's just like, I, I, I'm not going to talk you out of this. Um, but obviously, I'm very concerned about your decision making around this. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. And okay. So you, you. We're gonna do it. You're there, there. Safety briefing. Yeah. They give you the reality. You you go look over the edge. You go. This looks okay. We can do it. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So let's. We're on the. We're on the river. Let's let's get it. Let's get in the water. <laughs> yeah. So we're going. Um, and on the river, 
there's time checks that you got to get through, right? Because they want you to be in a certain place by a certain time. And, and so we're heading down the river. Um, we're making pretty good time. Um, and you come to this lake. It's called Lake Labarge. It's part of the river. The river flows into it. The river continues on the other side. But it's a 50-kilometer lake. Uh, so really huge lake. And it's kind of like narrow. And there's mountains on the side. And it's notorious for, for bad weather, right? So we get, we, get, we get on that lake. And we're paddling our little paddle boards. And you can see, like, it looks like hell's coming our way, right? Like dark clouds, dark as dark can be. The end is and, near. <laughs> yeah, the end is coming. And we, uh, like, you know, I paddled when I was in my 20s. I did some paddling and canoeing and stuff. And, you know, the rule is bad weather, get off the lake, right? Um, anything, especially high winds, you're kind of at the mercy of the winds. Well, we're just paddling right into this thing. And like any good lake, you can see the weather coming, right? The rain, oh, the yeah, wind yeah. coming across the lake. You right? can see the and, wall coming at you 100%. Yeah, and it's like two feet away from me. Now it's a foot. Now, boom, we get hit with it. And that wind was intense. It literally took my paddleboard and pushed me out into the lake, not the direction I wanted to go. We started having about three, four foot rolling waves, right? And you want to take those head on. You don't want to be sideways because they're going to flip you. And and so now it's kind of, we're getting hit sideways. The rain was like bullets, at this point, um, are you sitting? Are you kneeling? Are you still standing? Like, what's the what's the physical? What's the mechanics yeah, of what's happening now? Yeah, when you get into heavy wind on a paddleboard, you kneel so you're not such a sail uh, into it. <laughs> totally, right? you're so, not a sailboat. A sailboat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're paddling your guts out, trying to work with the wind. Now, you know, we didn't want to go to shore because we knew we had to make these time these timings, and so we are push trying to push through it. And you know, there's canoes and kayaks out there, and, and just to give a level of the intensity, one of the paddleboards that came up. Uh, is you'll find him on Instagram, Chris, the sub trainer, incredible paddle boarder. You know, he had, I think tried the year before and, and failed, but guys, incredible shape, uh, just knows what he's doing. He came out on the lake because it, we started at nine o'clock, which is the non-competitive group that the noon group, the competitive group started. So they were kind of coming on the lake while we were halfway on the lake when the storm hit. And one of the, uh, solo kayakers the wind was so strong, it ripped off that the lid you'll see on kayaks, the storage at the front of yep. the, kayak it ripped that lid off and that kayak was actually sinking well chris saved that person he managed to get them to shore gave them all his dry clothes and he headed off off the race because he's like this is this isn't safe i'm going to get out of here so basically gave up his race to, to save somebody my understanding is i think there were six boats that capsized on on the lake because of the storm so you know some of them just filled with water um, other ones just got blown over by the wind um, and so there were six rescues just on the lake. And then, you know, I had a, a two person, uh, canoe pull up beside me. It was two women and they had a dry skirt on top of the canoe, which keeps water out. Yep. And they said they almost sunk with the dry skirt on, right? The rain was coming through the dry skirt. It was raining so hard. So just the, the level of intensity on that lake. Ooh. And so, so we got towards the end of the lake and, uh, there's a checkpoint there where we checked in and, uh, you know, I, there was an eight-person voyageur canoe uh, that was having a bit of a meltdown on each other because they, we were, this is supposed to be fun and we're out here fighting for our lives. And, and so we had also, um, there, we found a, a paddle boarder from Hawaii, from Maui, and she was on her own. And she was like, can I paddle with you? And he said, absolutely. So she was our part of our group now. And so now from that checkpoint at the end of the lake, we had a, it was kind of probably around 10 o'clock at night or something. So the sun, it doesn't get dark, but the sun kind of goes around, so it gets very dusky. And uh, 
there's another solo kayaker that, that said, Hey, I don't want to paddle alone. So we kind of headed out on the river as a group from that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going down the river and the river's moving uh, because it's obviously really high. And the, the thing about the river now is not stable because currents are going everywhere. And on a paddleboard, you're kind of constantly off balance. And there's these things called boilers, which is kind of water coming up. Right. And it kind of looks like a, a pot boiling and it just grabs your board and twists you sideways. And, and so it's just a really physically hard task to get down the river, even though the currents is flying along. And at about one o'clock in the morning, you know, you can feel it getting really cold uh, and the temperature's really dropping. And, um, you know, we're fighting through that. We're putting layers of clothes on. Uh, obviously went through the storm, uh, so th- some things are wet. And then around four o'clock, you know, the team with us, people are getting hypothermic. They're kind of like, you know, hey, we got to pull over. We got to get warm. Um, can't get warm paddling. We got to put other layers on. And so Fred uh, was at the front of us. And I said, hey, Fred, can you find a place to pull over? Can you get us off the river and we'll make a change of clothes and, and that type of thing? This is how intense the river was. This is how high the level of the river was. Seven hours we paddled to try to get off that river. Um, now, why couldn't you get off the you river? You try to find because the spot, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't find the spot because the water levels are so high, you're, they're actually in trees, right? So if you try to go over in the trees, you're going to get dragged in and, and drowned and and there's no place just to kind of, you know, pull over and step off, just like the safety briefing told us. We actually tried, there's another checkpoint that we tried to pull into. We were paddling at it and the current just grabbed us and just sent us away because sometimes the current was 19, 20 kilometers an hour. We waved to the, the, the checkpoint, they waved to us and we just flew by them. And so what's the temperature at this point? Like you said, the temperatures are dropping. Is it yeah, is it like 20 degrees? Is it 10 degrees? Is it zero? Well, the, the, the temperatures fool you, right? Because, you know, at night they'll say, oh, it's seven, you know, eight degrees. But one, it's probably not that in the river valley, right? You're, you're yeah, kind of, of deep in the river. And two, you're just, one, you're, you're, you don't have the same kind of fire burning for heat in your body when you're doing that kind of exercise, right? Like, yeah, yeah, no, and, and right? Damp, damp is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we, we paddled seven hours. So we paddled into the sun and it was like 20 degrees and, and now we're like warmed up, right? But now we're trying to get off the river just for maintenance, just to like, you know, um, change a bunch of clothes, obviously square, eat square your Square your gear for sure. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And we can't find it. Um, so we're paddling down that river um, and it's very intense. The, the woman from Maui, you know, she was great about it. She's like, I'm having a massive anxiety attack. And, you know, Johan and, and Fred managed to talk <laughs> I just us want to let it. everyone know in a very calm voice. I'm happy. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, you know, exactly. And so we got to uh, basically the halfway mark of the race, uh, which is a mandatory stop. You have to pull in and and check uh, check in. And um, and we realized we had missed the time check. And so the race, you know, the rules of the race are you're done. Yeah. You're pulled. And they're like, you can go ahead. But you're just paddlers now. Like we're not going to provide any safety, or we're not going to provide uh, kind of any support around you. And I just said it's it's not safe, right? Like the condition I was in because you know being on the meds. One of the things was I was I was the orientation for me was not the same. I I almost missed that checkpoint. I almost paddled right by it, and I was following the map, and people were yelling at me. But I was so kind of out of it that I literally had to paddle like a kamikaze into the dock and like hit the dock and they grabbed me and pulled me out of the water and got me up. And, you know, I said to my support crew, uh, and ironically, if you go to episode one and 
you'll hear the story about falling down Mount Robson. My support crew was the guy I climbed, my, my brother from that adventure. And he was there and we just had a conversation about it. And it's just like, you know, I do not want to make a bad decision here and do not want to compile risk on it. And I do not want to do that to Johan and Freddie who are responsible for me going down this river. And so well, we the called mechanism, it. The mechanisms of bad decision-making, stress, hypothermia, probably yeah. probably undernourished, probably yeah. hypoglycemic. There was so many things that contribute to, like if you look at that, the matrix yeah. of what leads to a bad decision, that was yeah. kind of a TSN turning point where you could have made a bad decision at that point. A hundred percent. We and always looking back it, on it after. It's like, oh wow, there was the point that yes, we went. It yes. started to really go wrong. We call it stacking lemons when we we were doing mountaineering <laughs> back in the day because it's not one thing, right? It's it's not totally. one bad decision. To your point, it's a bad decision, and then you make another bad decision. You make another bad decision, and they've all stacked, and now you've run won the wrong jackpot because they're all going to come home to you. Oh, it's you know, we're caught out in the river. We're hypothermic, right? Kevin's having a seizure. No, we have no support crew now because we missed the time cutoff, yada, yada, yada. So we decided, you know what? We're going to come back and fight another day. It's my first DNF, which is a do not finish. Um, I can tell you um, it irks me, <laughs> but I, I feel massive, massive resilience from the fact that, you know, in the first week of March, I, I was in a hospital bed uh, praying to die. And I managed to get myself out of that to the Yukon to take on that adventure. Um, it just, it's something that I have in my cookie jar to lean on as I fight through this, you know? And what an opportunity to redefine, you know, in every race that you go to, someone else defines the finish line. Someone else defines mm -hmm. when you're allowed to say you were successful. Yeah. But you know yeah. what I'm hearing in this situation, you know, the Hollywood version, this is such a Hollywood movie for me as I'm, yeah. I don't know, I'm putting it in that context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the hero always finds a way to make it to the end. But the lesson in this yeah. movie, which is maybe more Disney, you decided when you went that what was a win and what wasn't a win for you. And it wasn't a, someone else's predetermined finish line. And I don't know, there seems to be such a powerful lesson in that. Of yeah. like, no, you know, you still get to decide when you did good and when it was like you said, you've put this in your cookie jar now. Uh, is it any more powerful if you would have made it to the end? No, you've reframed it in a way that's still been hugely beneficial. There's a lot of, I think, yeah. I just hear so much yeah. lesson in that as sometimes we predetermine what we're allowed to feel good about by someone else's finish line. You, you moved your own finish line to be the 100%. win that you needed to be. There's huge value in that in my mind. Huge. Yeah. yeah there's a couple things there. I, I would say for sure. Like if I had told you I was going to go paddle, stand up paddleboard 300 kilometers and you saw the state I was in in you know, April or, or whenever we met up, I, I think everybody would say what an incredible achievement, right? The fact that the finish line was 705 kilometers, it kind of makes it kind of like, oh, you got halfway, which to me is just to your point, right? I hear like, you, though. I hear you. Right? We stretched it. The, the, other, the other thing about it to me is that's why at the start of this, I said, you know, this is chapter three of four. Like, hmm. I really want to build upon this. And, you know, are we going back to the Yukon? Well, possibly. Like, it's something we're talking about. Um, you know, the first step of that, I said, I don't, is, you know, I I don't got... doubt you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the first step of that is to get 100% healthy off medication. And that, that's what I'm fighting for right now. And, you know, if I can make that gate, then other things can happen. But, you know, I, I said to the guys, you know, this is my first step. Uh, that's what I got to aim for. And then you build upon that. And, and that's where my energy is right now, you know, get 100% healthy and off meds. Cur curious question that maybe... 
you went and paddled this race. Everything else was the same except for the trigeminal neuralgia. Is yeah. there a risk because of the storm and because of all the factors that you still might have missed that timing? Yeah, I think one, uh, you know, and I don't mean, those are not excuses. Like, I don't want them to come across excuses. They're, they're lessons I'm learning from, right? And here's some other lessons I learned from. You know, I, I think I had, you know, as all of us do, I think maybe I have some more of it. I had some uh, arrogance and hubris around, hey, I had run the, the hardest races in the world as an endurance runner. I'm going to go do the hardest uh, endurance race uh, for paddling on a stand-up paddleboard. Those things are going to transfer pretty easily. Um, it's not not the case, right? So if I look at people that finished that race, and I think of the eight Calgary stand-up paddleboarders, one man one got to the finish line successfully. But the the winner, the first stand-up paddleboarder across the finish line, was the two-time stand-up paddleboard champion. The other people that, if you look at their resumes, was like the most accomplished endurance stand-up paddleboarder uh, of Europe, right? These these people are incredible paddlers. They're they have an incredible resumes and skills. And, and to me, I have to go build a higher level of skill and ability um, because I thought it was more, hey, it's just endurance. If, you know, I can get myself in really good physical shape. I can endure this and stay on my board. No, you actually have to have stronger paddling skills to make time cutoffs. Uh, you have to have stronger paddling skills to make it easier physically on you, like efficiency of stroke. Um, and so those are the things that you know are lessons for me. I, I know I talked to the race organizer and she said, there's a, the majority of people that try this on their first attempt do not succeed because they have to learn lessons and kind of revamp their game. And, and I'm one of them and I want to go do that and kind of refine it. So there, there was a, a bunch of things. It was not just TN that stopped me from the finish line um, that, you know, I got to go back and, and pivot and refine. That's such a powerful lesson. I recently had, uh, I don't know if you know, it's random, but Steve Messler, four-time Olympic bobsled gold medalist. <clears throat> runs a company called uh, Classroom Champions, and they happen to be based yeah. here in Calgary. I met him recently. Wow. You know, right. We had a really powerful conversation this week yeah. about you know, social and emotional learning for children K-8. to yeah. But he talked about his experience of coming out of being a professional athlete where he, flew from, he moved from Buffalo to Calgary to have a mm -hmm. professional coach tell him every day what he was doing wrong to get better. Yeah. And he goes, then I went and worked in corporate. And the second yeah. I gave someone feedback, I basically got fired. You're yeah. not allowed to give yeah. that person feedback because they already yeah. think they're awesome. Yeah. And we talked yeah. about like the gift of feedback and the feedback yeah. that you received. And like, even if you take yeah. the, the trigeminal off the table and yeah. the humility of like, Oh shit. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I guess I still had something to learn. Imagine that. Yeah. And that is oh, such yeah. a powerful like dichotomy that we all talk about it, but in real life yeah. and that shows up in the corporate worlds that we live in. And sometimes even in our friend yeah. groups, we're so resistant to that ability. Like feedback is the, is the privilege of getting better at something. And he told me, he goes, you know, Tyler, when we won gold and, it was like blue, like move the needle for the U.S. Olympic team because yeah. the bobsled had never won. And he goes, I watched the footage and I was like, ah, you know what? I might, I could have put my this. foot in a different place. <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite yeah. like my finger was like a millimeter yeah. off on the, on the rail. He goes, yeah. and he goes for 20 years, I ran really fast and sat down. That was all I did. Yes. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. if my coach wasn't criticizing me, it's because I figured he wasn't paying attention for that minute. Yeah. But the rest yeah. of the world, we forget because we reach yeah. a level of accomplishment and then we're beyond Learning that, that's a, you know, that's a dangerous well, place, but I really appreciate, you know, you transferred a lot of the prerequisites, but you still got to get better at the thing. <laughs> and that's one of the things I love about the, the wilderness and outdoors and the adventures or the races <laughs> in them is because they give you constant feedback, right? They, they cannot lie to you. They cannot sugarcoat it, right? Like if you're not strong enough paddler to get through 50 kilometer hour winds on a lake with rain, 
you're not right. Like it's, it's not, <laughs> this is that's how it's my hunting buddy be. always says. He goes, Oof, "It's not a trip to the bush if you didn't learn something, and it's probably yeah. embarrassing, a little bit shameful, yeah. and you're like, oh shit, guess I shouldn't have done that.' <laughs> the yeah. bush always teaches you a lesson. Yeah, like, like you sure. said, it doesn't filter. It's almost like like having a direct line to spirit. You're gonna get what you get, and that's there's no there's no sugarcoating it. There, no, it is what it is. And you know, the other thing I think <laughs> that's really important. You know, I I I look through this and kind of go, well, you know, what's an important thing I would give to people, um, kind of from it? And I think it's you know, the scientific word is limbic friction, right? If you talk, watch Huberman's lab, who's a great podcast, he talks about this, but you know, the Goggins of the world, the Jocko Wilnicks of the world, they kind of talk about it in a different way is that, you know, every morning you get up, how many of those mornings do you want to work out? None of them, right? You wake up every morning not wanting to work out, but you overcome that and you have discipline and that builds this limbic friction, which is a muscle in your brain, right? So that when when tough things happen to you, you, you don't have to kind of find a way to do it. The limbic friction is built into you and you can overcome them. And I think our society is starting to really open up to that and come awake to that because we live in these very comfortable lives surrounded by abundance. And I think, you know, through COVID, I think a lot of, you know, kind of easy living or we're going to lock ourselves down regardless of what decision you made on that or where you sit on that. It was about kind of putting these easy, easy things in place, right? They are not good for you mentally. You need limbic friction. You need to build resistance for yourself. And you know, the one thing I'll say about the story of chronic pain, uh, because I hope, you know, there's some, I shared some wisdom around it is that, you know, if you have, you know, an aunt or a mother or a dad or an uncle and, and you're going to them and saying, Hey, I just listened to this podcast and this guy has, you know, the, the worst chronic pain condition. He managed to get to the Yukon and Powell. You should get off the couch. That's wrong. Right. Because everyone's got to start from where they are and build their limbic friction and the muscle. And maybe their goal today is, you know, play with the kids for two minutes or, to my early goals of like, I'm just going to shower. But the other side of it is people say, oh, well, he's an outlier. You know, there's something special about him. That's not right either. What I've been able to do is just build this muscle to your point of like bobsled every day, run fast, sit down. How he got really good at it is the same thing that I've been doing around endurance and these events. And so, you know, help the people in your life around chronic pain. Uh, I think the best thing you can do is understand where they are, understand kind of what they're trying to get through, whether that's, like I said, get off the couch and play with the kids, whether that's like tie for you coming down on my philosophy walks and, and just interacting with me and, and, you know, giving me that energy to kind of build on, on my endurance and the training I was doing. That's the most important thing you can do. Um, I, I really feel, you know, as I was fighting through that, having people around me, you know, understanding kind of where I was and just supporting my journey, it's probably the most important gift. Love what you said about allowing people to be meet them or like allow them to be where they are and not apply yeah. some filter because the only filter that matters at that point is the one you have for yourself as an individual. Yeah. Like from from I'm I'm done, throw me in the ocean and I'll stop swimming. To being yeah. caught in the middle of it like a, a fifty kilometer <laughs> lake feels a lot like the ocean <laughs> yeah. when you're out there and you get fifty kilometer yeah. winds and whatever the case may be, like that that's a pretty drastic shift from like I would have given yeah. up to like I didn't give up and you know yeah. I missed the time but I survived the the metaphor of that it's not even a metaphor it's real it's real it's oh, very it's like you you yeah. actually took the feeling of, of, of drowning in or wanting to drown in, in your hospital beds yeah. and being in a situation where you could have easily given up but you didn't you fought through did did it, you have it's a great did, point did, did, did seizures show up did any of that actually happen on the on the race yeah and I, I'll 
just want to speak to that. Yeah, point sorry, I don't, yeah, I don't want to skip past that. Yeah. Yeah. Skip yeah past. It just reminds me of something because yeah, it, you know, I was in that bed, you know, praying to die. And, and, you know, I, when I went up to the Yukon, I, I did have a concern of, you know, am I going to be reckless? Am I going to just make crazy risk decisions because like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Right. Like I, I really had that kind of concern. And when I went up there, I realized like on that lake and other places, no, I'm fighting to live, right? Like I, I, I want to make good decisions. I, I want to be here. And, and to me, that was a really kind of important moment for me, just psychologically of where I'm at, right? Like to your point, I got thrown in the middle of the ocean and I did swim. So that was important. Now here's the irony of the race from a pain <laughs> perspective. When I got to the end uh, of the, the, the halfway mark for me, when we got pulled, so 300 kilometers in, I had paddled 31 hours straight, no sleep no stop. We couldn't get off the river. Right. So 31 hours standing up, standing up and kneeling down. Um, but I got to that point, I had no pain in my face, no, no electrical shocks. If anyone had seen me, there was spots on my face where I couldn't shave because it gave me electrical seizure. And, and, um, I got off at the 31 hour mark. I literally shaved my whole face. I said to my friend, my support crew, my buddy Glenn, I said, watch this. I was slapping my face. I'm like, there's no seizures. <laughs> Sorry, I could picture you doing that. Hey, watch this. Whack, whack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so cannot, interesting. Yeah. I can't understand, okay, what happened? Now, um, it came back, right? Eventually, after you know a couple of days, it was right back to where okay. it was. I've the doctor I'm working with out of the US, right, who's, you know, looks at this differently and thinks it's a muscular issue like I do. Um, I said, okay, tell me why after 31 hours, I had no pain. And I've asked other doctors and other people I'm working with, and they've never given me a good answer. He said, oh, Kev, I can tell you exactly why that is. He goes, you're exerting a lot of physical force. When you either run hard or you paddle hard, you do it with an open mouth, right? You, you're a mouth breather. I'm like, yeah. He goes, your jaw wasn't activated for like 31 hours. Your teeth weren't touching. He goes, you've probably had good adrenaline, right? You had obviously good blood flow. But he goes, that's the number one reason. And he goes, and that's why it came back slowly after the days because you, you know, you started activating it again. Now I wasn't talking on the board very often, right? I did have to eat obviously to fuel myself, but you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I feel like I'm in a muscular situation. When I love the concept just in life of like a pattern interrupt, like you interrupted the regular yeah. pattern by by creating a, a, you know, and that can be whether you're psychologically, I think a break state or a pattern interrupt, I think that's a powerful yeah. tool just to get us out of a way of being. But you yeah. know, I, I've had like, oh, my back sore, whatever, go snowboarding, it goes away because I yeah. did something completely yeah. different than sitting yes. at this freaking chair that I'm sitting in right now. Yeah. You know, yes. and, and like you'd think it might make it worse, but it was a different pattern. And that's it's amazing right. the power of that. And our yeah. bodies are meant for variety. They're not meant for the same thing over and over again. Like back to your sitting at a desk, you know, sitting's the yeah. new smoking or whatever that, that bumper yes. sticker is these days. I don't disagree with I that. I become I a, a strong believer of that. I always, I, I was raised by two smokers. So I was like, what are you talking about? I saw the damage that smoke is, smoking has done. But <laughs> Fair enough. I yeah. was like, no, I, now I'm a firm believer that it is, it is. Hmm. So the obvious question, uh, you've implied chapter four of the saga <laughs> of our conversations, which I yeah. love. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, or, uh, The Return of the Jedi. Is it another race? Is it something else? Is it, you know, obviously I reserve the right to, <laughs> to yeah. come up with what chapter yeah. four looks like, but what, yeah. do, what have you got brewing right now? Cause I know you and a yeah. good friend of mine always jokes, Tyler, what are we looking forward to? we got a trip. Like, what are we doing? Like always something <laughs> yeah. to put out there in the future. Yeah. I think is, you know, hope yeah. comes hope and hope and looking forward to the future go pretty hand in hand. What's yeah. what, what's brewing right now for you coming off this? Well, like I said, you know, number one gate, get off the meds, get hundred percent healthy, but I do know, 
on the other side, and you know, I strongly believe I can get there. The other side is endurance and outdoors, right? I, I will say that, right? Like, well, that's also you know, do your, we go? You, that's your church too, right? I know you know what I mean. That's whatever, my church. Whatever you want to call it, call it that. Yeah, that, the mountains are church. your are your are your place. Yeah, that's the 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 factory that forms me and builds me, mm-hmm. and so you know, is that the Yukon a potential? Is that okay. some other adventure on uh, a paddleboard, long adventure in the wilderness? Potential. Um, but that's, that's where my head's at, you know, and, and once again, it's something that allows me to, to work through, um, getting healthy because like anything, um, you know, doing yoga, stretching and and doing all this work, one, there is pain involved. It's a different type of pain. It's not easy. Uh, it's grueling and it has a level of boredom. And so to kind of keep all those things going to me as this goal of getting back there. Right. So, you know, getting up at four 30 in the morning and doing two hours of stretching and yoga. Uh, that's the thing that keeps me inspired for it. Nice. And in, in all this, uh, I'm assuming back to work, like I know you have, a, you play, you play yeah. a senior role at a, at a very successful company. And I know you, you and the actions you take in that organization have impact on a lot of people. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about that and you know, <laughs> I, I, so many elements of this journey, but you know, yeah. did work, did, did things redefine around work or did it, did it move to a different place in your life? Or, you know, I believe, you know, to go back to our first episode, the four legs of the stool, yeah, it's one leg yeah. we didn't really talk about too much uh, during yeah. the course of this, but uh, just, just as short summary, where did yeah. work fall in or fall out of all this? Well, I have an incredible support at work, right? Like That's just awesome. an incredible culture there and everybody got behind me and, you know, think kind of to your concern, they try, you know, get me off calls or why are you working today? And, you know, just always, you know, kind of cheering me on to, to get, get out of here, Kevin, get off the call, get off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, we don't, you know, you shouldn't be working today. And, and so it's been an incredible environment. Um, uh, one of the things that's huge, one of the things you realize is things are taken away from you, how important they are to you and how bad you want them. And I love where I work. I love being a leader. Um, you know, that's part of like, I think, you know, when you say, what's your purpose on earth? I, I, I think mine's to be a leader. Um, and so I really fought back really fought hard to get back and have been at work. And, you know, uh, I would say kind of from probably the end of April, I was back, you know, 80, 90% of what I was doing before. Uh, one of the things I would say is because I have limited energy and kind of limited in some ways time of that energy, right? Cause as days, the day goes along, you get more tired out and kind of in more pain is it's forced me to decide what is the most important things to work on. Where do I really want to give that's, my energy that's a to? That's gift right there. <laughs> oh, it's a, been a huge gift, right? Because I realized, you know, working a 12-hour day, three of those hours might have just been on ineffective stuff and yeah. just didn't make any sense. And so now, Putting you know, in time I choose, and moving things forward are two different yes. things. <laughs> what are the big rocks? What actually moves things forward? Who actually really needs my time? Um, you know, I become very guarded of the energy and time I give out, which I never did before, um, kind of who gets it and why they're getting it. Uh, which has been a gift in itself. And, you know, the one, the other thing that kind of plays into work, but plays into life in general was, you know, I, I would say I'm living a much more quieter life, right? Like it's just, um, you know, going out at night or, you know, uh, trips and travel and all those types of things. I've just really shut down. Um, and somebody said this to me, they said, you know, a peaceful life can look like a very boring life. And, and it's true in the ways uh, around kind of, the things that I'm doing with work and with my endurance training and obviously my family and friends and, and my charity, uh, those have been the focus. Those are what gets energy. And, and so 
you know, I'm in bed a lot of times, 8.30, and I never used to do that. But you're also up at 4 or 4.30, yeah, so like yeah. that, that does correlate. Let's tell the rest of the yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, but before this, that bedtime was more like 10.30, right? So, yeah, I hear yeah. you. I don't know, boring and what's boring and what's a quiet life or what's a yes, fulfilled yeah. life. There's a lot of society yeah. stories around all that. That's another podcast for another day. <laughs> 100%, man, 100%. You know, a good life is what's good for you. Anyone else's opinion is irrelevant. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I've learned that lesson as well. Yeah, no sure. doubt. Well, my friend, thank you so much, as always, for a phenomenal conversation. Selfishly, um, this is the conversation you and I would have had anyways. We just gave yes, it, hopefully, yeah. the opportunity for people to to listen, to eavesdrop in, to take away some lessons and to apply it to themselves. You know, we all go on our own journeys. But, you know, surrounding yourself with sources of inspirations, whether that's books, podcasts, you know, spiritual learnings, I don't care what it is, sources of inspiration in our life to help shift our thoughts. It's the only way to fly, in my opinion, or, or you get stuck in a talk track that might not serve you anymore. Might have worked six months ago or six days ago. It doesn't work anymore. But those sources of inspiration, and yeah, you did that today in spades. So thanks, my friend. I appreciate oh, always for your honesty and just for being who you are, man. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Let's get ready for chapter four. Oh, I'm excited already. It's, we'll get it in the calendar before we even get off. Thank you, everybody, for, for checking it out. Um, please go back. I'll throw, the, I'll throw the other episodes, but just search Kevin Crow. They just get it, and you'll find lots of amazing content. And uh, chapters one, two, and today, chapter three. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. <laughs>